The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher, and you are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast. This is episode number 12, and today I want to have a little discussion about the creation story of Genesis. It is one of my favorite things to talk about in the Bible, not because I like to get into whether or not it's an evolution or creationist uh, argument, but because when you study the beginning of all things, you get a heck of a lot of insight as to the intention of God and where everything is going. Have you ever noticed that there's two versions of the creation story? One where he speaks everything into existence and one where he forms everything out of the dust to the ground? Have you ever wondered why the heck he gave Adam that damn commandment in the first place? And how powerful was that apple, right? To ruin the whole world. An apple, a piece of fruit, has destroyed our lives forever. Well, today we're going to talk about some of those things, and I'm looking forward to it. All right, here we are. Episode number 12, one quarter of the year, one quarter was worth of a year anyways, uh, being recorded in the New Age Christian Podcast. It's kind of uh, surreal to think that we've had that many episodes to this point, especially since I have been working uh, with a few of the people in this community, uh, recording additional episodes. I'm doing starting a series called uh, Interview with a New Age Christian, and I'm basically want to bring you guys people that you can identify with other than myself who have begun to call themselves New Age Christians and what their journey, where they came from, where where they're currently at, some of the challenges they've had, some of the stories they've got. And so I've already done a couple interviews, one with Kayleen Hale and one with Kat, and another one is coming up this uh, coming week. I'm going to be doing one with Christopher Teasdale. And uh, the goal of those interviews is to Uh, introduce you beyond just me into a community of people that you can identify with. And honestly, (laughs) because I'm not the one that's fully going to define what it means to be a new age Christian, right? I mean, that's going to be organic. That's going to be natural. And I can do my best to answer specific questions and, and, and steer the thought of a community in this podcast and through classes and whatever. But in general, the real definition of what a New Age Christian is, is going to be defined by you. It's going to be defined by the community. And hopefully, if we define it well, we can continue to grow and to and to spread our message and to spread our energy, honestly, because that's really what it is. It's not just about the words. It's about how we carry the words. Uh, Jesus and his disciples proved that. I mean, he was the greatest teacher the world's ever known, and one of his one of his students ended up betraying him. So it's clearly not about the information. It is about how you carry the information. And that is really up to you. That's not going to be me. I cannot uh, define from the from a microphone uh, how we're going to do that as a community. But that is what's coming up. And right now, today, I want to talk to you about uh, the creation story 
inside of the context of the last 12 weeks, I've been trying to cover pieces of the puzzle, if you will, the puzzle known as humanity, the puzzle known as religion, the puzzle known as God, that we're all trying to figure out what this is about. And I've been trying to cover important pieces that I think need to be revisited because the Christian church or the new age religion or the world just completely has some backwards views about them. The creation story and how creation works is absolutely belongs in that discussion. And so today we're going to talk about creation. I'm going to come at it from two different angles. The first is I want to talk to you from the, the standpoint of the actual creation, the, the stars, the, the earth, the fish, the birds, and kind of bring out some points in, in that and how our own Bible um, plays it out, regardless of the other creation accounts throughout other religions. I want to then zoom in on Adam and Eve specifically and our relationship to God as humans and uh, maybe see if there's some nuggets that we can uncover inside of the story of the fall and the commandments and the and that dang apple that we apparently, <laughs> you do know it wasn't an apple, right? Like we don't know what kind of fruit it was, but it definitely was not definitively an apple. <laughs> definitely was not definitively. That made sense. I'm, I'm sure it made sense. Anyway, so yeah, what about that stuff? So one from the natural side and then one back more to the human and Adam and Eve side. And uh, I believe that there are some insights coming your way that if you haven't heard are going to be some of those like, what? Because you're going to realize, holy crap, that kind of changes everything. If you'll let it. So without further ado, let's just dive right in. Um, dive right in as we're six minutes into the podcast. I think my definition of dive right in needs some work. <laughs> oh man. So if you don't know, the creation account in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter one. So it's literally the first book, the first chapter. And it's also again in Genesis chapter two. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor in North Carolina, I had a uh, a full-time, and I was also running a nonprofit ministry, Category 5 Ministries, which I still run and is the 501c3 cover for NAC. And I had a, an employee for Category 5 Ministries that was helping me with some projects. And his name is Ben Finger. And he asked me one day in the office, he said, Austin, what do you think of the two different creation accounts in the Bible? Now, this was before I was a certified Bible thumper. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, you know, the two different creation accounts in Genesis. I'm like, there's two creation accounts? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. And he looked at me like, you're a youth pastor, bro. You don't know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, so, yeah, go read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I am going to read a few chunks here and there. But if you go read Genesis chapter 1, all the way through uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Okay, and when you get to 2 verse 3, it finishes with, uh, and he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Okay, and so the talks about the seventh day, and then the next verse, Genesis 2, 4, 
This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, I'm going to dig into that in a second. But if you've never noticed that right there between Genesis 2.3 and Genesis 2.4, it says that creation is done, and then it tells the story again from a different lens. And so if you're listening to this going, what? I didn't know that. You actually knew it. You just never thought about it because you know You've, we've all heard how God spoke everything into existence, right? You've heard that before. God said, let there be light. God said, let the waters separate from the waters. God said, let the, the waters be teeming with fish and the, earth, and the air teeming with birds. Like you've heard that God, let, God said, and therefore everything was created. But then you've also heard that he formed the beast from the dust of the ground, that he formed man out of the dust of the ground right? So did God say it or did he form it? Well, the answer is both. Genesis 1, God says everything. And in Genesis 2, from verse 4 on, he's forming everything. So that's a big, big distinction in how you read the creation story. Now, as I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I do want to kind of drill into the difference between these two stories. So in Genesis 1.1, it starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. Now, it's at this point I need to fill you in on a lens that I carry about the Bible. I believe the Bible, while it may have historical inaccuracies, while it may have disagreement appear inside of the text where one author says one thing and another author says another thing. I believe all of that inaccuracy, all of those disagreements, all of those challenges are there on purpose. That they are there for us to dig deep and discover a buried spiritual treasure that the Spirit has put there for us. He did, God does not hide things from you. He hides things for you to find and to grow and to learn. And so that lens of the Bible means that I believe every freaking word matters and that every word is, is vitally important. And here's why I say that. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. If you go to Genesis Two, three, at the end of that account, it said, and this, uh, he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which, we had, which he created and made. Right? And here's the thing. So if you go to the Hebrew, in the English translation, this is the New American Standard, it says, from all his work which he created and made, it actually is literally translated as which he created to make. Does that make sense? So God created everything so that he could make everything. I'll keep going and this, this will hopefully make sense. So he rested from all his work, which he had created to make. This is the count of the heavens on the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, did you notice the flip? 
This is the account of the heavens and the earth. So heaven is first, earth is second. When they were created, all right, we've already covered that. It's past tense. In the day, singular, that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now earth is first. So the order switches from heaven and earth to earth and heaven. And it switches from created to made. And ironically, it also switches from seven days to the singular day. So, I know I just covered a lot, especially if you don't have your Bible in front of you and you're driving or something like that. So let me just kind of back out of the minutia of, of verses and share with you that Genesis 1, chapter 1, and then all the way through chapter 2, verse 3, is the creation of the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 2, verse 4 and on is the making of the earth and the heavens. Now, why does what am I saying? I'm going to give you this lens and you can accept it or reject it and do with it what you will. But I believe this is one of the very first evidence from the beginning of all things that all creative process begins in the spirit. And namely, that all creative process begins with thought. Because thought is outside of time. It, you, you, your thought, you can go think about tomorrow. You can think about yesterday. You can, put your, you can imagine yourself on the moon. You can imagine yourself doing anything. You can imagine yourself picking up the sun and throwing it across the universe. There is nothing that your, your mind cannot think there's nothing your mind cannot do. There's nothing that it does not cannot know, and there is and there is no, nowhere that it cannot be, as far as time and space. So your your mind, your thoughts are the very substance of spirit. Now there's a a massive point where you may want to pause and realize what I just said, and you may want to think back through it. And if you're really interested in digging into that concept. I highly suggest some of the classes that are coming up, Origin of the Universe, Unified Theory of Spirit and Matter, and some of that. But yes, your mind is the very substance of spirit. It is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Because you can do anything, and you can create anything in your mind. And that is where all creation starts, in spirit, in thought, in consciousness. And I believe Genesis chapter 1 is proving that creation takes place first in the realm of the spirit, which is why God was able to just say it, right? And which is why its existence was instant. But when you move to Genesis chapter two and you hit verse four, it pauses and it says, all of the creating was done. Now we're going to switch to actually making it. And he actually begins to form things as opposed to just creating them in the spirit. So if you, and if you don't know this, by the way, the verses and chapters in the Bible weren't originally there. So those were put in thousands of years later. So just because it, it doesn't, just because it, it sw- the story switches at Genesis 2 verse 3 doesn't mean that's how God put it there, right? They should have put Genesis 2 starting at verse 4 because it really is the first account is Genesis 1 and the second account is Genesis 2. So don't get all caught up in the fact that it begins at verse 2, 4, or chapter 2, verse 4. So you have the creating in the spirit, 
in chapter 1, and you have the making in the natural in chapter 2. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill down even a little bit more. So, one of the big questions that the world is asking is because of our studies of the universe and studies of how its expansion, and that, it seems to suggest that there was a moment in which everything in matter came into being, and it's known as the Big Bang, right? Because the universe is expanding out from a central point, and they understand that matter has always existed. You cannot destroy matter, or sorry, energy. Energy has always existed, and you cannot destroy it. And so it all had to exist in one place at one time. Now, I would suggest where it switches from the seven-day pattern to where it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. And I'm going to draw out some more proofs here, but or some more points here. But I believe that this is evidence that there was a moment. There was a quote-unquote bang moment in which everything that God had in his mind and in his spirit, in the spirit, came into existence in a moment. And so I actually don't have a problem holding a space between creationism and the Big Bang, right? I will, And I would say that the Big Bang was not an accident, but that it was intentional. And I would certainly argue against a lot of uh, the discussions around evolution and how we come from primordial ooze and everything like that. We have a divine identity. We are divine beings. We didn't just accidentally step into that. But there's elements of evolution that, and if you're familiar with Thomas Troward, I do understand the hierarchy of consciousnesses, that human consciousness is higher than the consciousness of a dog, the, do- the consciousness of a dog is higher than the consciousness of a goldfish, and the consciousness of a goldfish is certainly higher than the consciousness of a plant, and the ha- consciousness of a plant is certainly higher than the consciousness of a rock. So I get that there is a divine consciousness throughout everything, but there and that there's a hierarchy, and I understand that you could begin to have a discussion about the evolution of matter towards divine manifestation in humanity. But that's another show. <laughs> what I want to talk about what and what I want to drill down here is just that when you get to Genesis 2 starting at verse 4, you might want to take note of all the things that are already there. So if this is if if chapter 1 is the creation in the spirit and chapter 2 is the forming in the natural, have you noticed if you're already, if you've paused and you've gone and read this story, have you noticed what's already there when you get to chapter two? Light already exists. Water already exists. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, they already exist. Land and sea exist. And interestingly enough, the fish already exist. The only things that chapter two says is it says that there was no plant. There were no plants on the ground, no herbs, no trees. There were no animals, there were no creatures on the ground, and there was no man to till the ground. So plants, animals, and man did not exist when chapter 2 begins to talk about the forming of all these different things that God does. 
So I believe that's actually evidence of an old earth. If you look at geography and you look at the Grand Canyon and the different things that you would say that, yes, the sea has been here. Yes, the fish seem to be less evolved and therefore they have been here longer than, than land animals and the tectonic plates and all this stuff that suggests that earth has been here for millions of years. I don't actually look at Genesis one and two and, and I don't view that as a, I don't know, a combating theory. I think actually Genesis two and the way that it lays out the, the pre-existence of those things, I think it tends, tends to suggest that there are parts of the matter world that are significantly older than other parts. I also use it as proof that we did not come from monkeys because we were formed intentionally. That monkeys did not come from primordial ooze because they were formed intentionally, and so on and so forth. So I use these scriptures to support both arguments completely. And you'll find that New Age Christianity, I believe, is going to start presenting solutions to these supposedly diametrically opposed ideas. I mean, that's <laughs> if something's going to call itself New Age Christianity, it's, you know, I mean, we pride ourselves on being able to tackle these ideas that seem to not be able to get along and find a balance that I think makes a lot of, a lot of logical sense. So there's one other piece about the, the physical creation before I moved to Adam and Eve that I wanted to draw on. And that is, have you ever noticed in Genesis 1, when he says, let there be light, right? That there's not a sun, moon, and stars until the third day. I think it's the third day. Maybe it even is the fourth day. In my Bible, let's see. It was the fourth day. So God said, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven. So it wasn't until the fourth day that you have the sun, the moon, and the stars, which are obviously sources of light. God even says that. But it's before that that he actually says, let there be light. Well, quantum physics is actually proving that there are two different speeds of light and that there are two different kinds of light. And I love actually how Ian Clayton draws this out, that he would say that the first light, when, he, when God says, let there be light at the very beginning, is that is creative light, meaning it is, the, it is the light of thought, it is the light of creativity, and it is the light of spirit, and that the sun, moon, and the stars are the sources of created light. They were still needed to be made in the spirit first, but they were then the manifestations of that light in the natural. And so the two speeds of light or two types of light that get created, if you meditate on that just a little bit and understand that the light came out of the darkness and so on and so forth, you'll find a whole lot of beautiful insights for yourself if you're so interested in, uh, in that kind of mental exercise. But yeah, Genesis 1, spiritual creation. Genesis 2, natural creation. Genesis 1, to me, is the, and the difference between the two is evidence of a potential Big Bang, and it's also evidence of an old earth, but young humanity. Anyway, so that's some thoughts on the actual physical creation that I hope you've enjoyed. I want to move over to Adam and Eve's part in this whole story. So if you look at Genesis 1 where he originally says, let us make man in our own image. 
says uh, the sixth day, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created. Okay. If you go read that, first of all, if you, if you're reading the NASB, NASB, uh, that's uh, Genesis one twenty seven. Uh, the where it says male and female he created them. It the word them is added by our English translations. It really is just male and female he created. So is God a man or a woman? Because according to Genesis he's both. More importantly, if you actually study Hebrews, the, not Hebrews, if you go to the Hebrew in this study, you realize that he made Adam, singular, as both male and female. So, if God is both male and female, then so is so are we. Now, remember, this is in the spirit. This is not yet physically formed. So I actually, when if I think I've referenced it a few times, that I believe that the spirit is the male and the soul is the female, and we have both a spirit and a soul inside of us. And this is one of the proofs that I use, that we are both spirit and soul, that we are both male and female internally in the spirit, which is how it was created in chapter 1. And that in the physical, that, that duality, that spiritual duality was then pulled apart and shown in physical form through Adam and Eve, which obviously Eve came out of Adam. So that's one little insight into spirit and soul, male, female, and there's about a thousand other things that I could say about that. What I really want to dig into is, remember I said that every word matters. Every word in the Bible, and everything is there for a reason. Well, it took me a few years before I ever saw this, and when I did, it just blew my mind. It said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God's original intent was image and likeness. Remember that, image and likeness, both of them. And then verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Right, So I would ask you, what's missing? So if God's intention was image and likeness, and then the next verse is he were created in his image, clearly the thing that is missing is God's likeness. Right. So his intention was to give us both his image and his likeness, yet that verse only gives us his likeness. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my goodness. I immediately knew because of previous studies that the next time likeness is mentioned is actually two chapters later in Genesis 3.22 when it says, Now man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So, if you've done the mental math, you know that that verse obviously refers to the fall. When Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit, which wasn't an apple. (laughs) I've heard so many, so many debates on what kind of fruit it was. And I'm literally like, guys, you realize that it wasn't the fruit. It was the commandment attached to the fruit, right? 
God could have said, don't pee in this river. And then suddenly it would have been the fallen river. Like it had nothing to do with the piece of fruit or the tree. It had everything to do with the commandment attached to it. I promise you there's no magical tree that will destroy humanity forever. It was a commandment and everything in it. So apple, fig, coconut, forbidden river or whatever. They messed up. And it says in Genesis 3.22, now man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So there's so much here, and I'm going to attempt to unpack it quickly yet concisely. So first, have you ever seen that? (laughs) Have you ever seen that God actually admits that Satan was right? Right? Because Satan says, Oh, no, no, no. God doesn't want you to eat that tree because he knows that when you do, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like him. And then literally, not even a full chapter later, God says, now man has become like one of us. Like, have you ever realized? Satan didn't lie. Satan is the father of lies. Who's the mother, right? Because it takes a mom to actually bring forth fruit. It takes a mother to actually bring forth the offspring. So Satan is the father of lies. I believe Eve was the mother of the lies. She she took in his deceit and his seed and birthed the lies in herself. And I'm not going to unpack all of that. But the point being that God admits when they ate of the tree, they became like God. So let's drill down. So what is, according to God's own admission, what is it to be like him? Because remember Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image and likeness. Chapter 1, we get the image of God. Chapter 2, neither word is used, right? Because we're formed out of the dust of the ground, which by the way, God doesn't have a body. So that was neither image nor likeness. We actually, we became something different that he never had. Hint, hint, that is the point of humanity, to be the body of God, because until then, he didn't have one. But I digress. So chapter one, we get the image. Chapter two, we get nothing uh, as far as God's intention for image and likeness. And then chapter three, he says that we've become like him. And to be like him is to have the knowledge of good and evil. So you realize, one, Satan wasn't lying. Two, Adam and Eve succeeded in becoming like God. And so I looked at this and I thought, no way. So you're saying that we were supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of a needle? That doesn't make any sense. Like God told us not to. Yet, God, your intention was to make us like you. And according to how I'm reading this, the only way that we can become like you is to know the knowledge of good and evil. This is true. There's no way around it. You can you can try to wiggle out of this all you want. If you're listening to me and I'm just making you nervous as hell, I'm sorry. God wanted to make us in his image and likeness. And in chapter 3, verse 22, being like him means knowing the having the knowledge of good and evil. There is no way around that. So I sat on that for a few months and I thought, this just totally, like, seriously, God? Like we were supposed to eat of the tree. And what is, what's the game here? What's the catch? 
And it wasn't, it was just honestly uh, meditating on it over and over and over and over again. And I finally had this aha moment. Thank you, Spirit. I had the aha moment and I realized, what is knowing good and evil? Like, what is it at its core? If I said, give me another word for what it means to know good and evil, you'd probably say, well, it's knowing what's right and what's wrong, right? Well, what is, what's another word for that? You know what another word for that is? It's the law, right? To know the law, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. To know what is right, to know what is wrong, to know what is good, to know what is bad. There's the rules. And so when I realized, okay, so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is knowing what is right and what is wrong. It's knowing what the rules are. And I went, oh my goodness. It's knowing what the rules are. If I'm going to be like God, I have to know the rules. And it hit me. That's why God gave Adam and Eve a commandment. Because God's intention was to make man like him. God had to give Adam the knowledge of what was right and what was wrong what was good and what was evil. God had to give Adam the rules. And if you're not getting it yet, okay. How else would you define a commandment to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It's the rule. It's the only rule. It's the singular rule. And buried inside that rule God was giving Adam his likeness. Buried inside of the commandment to not eat of the tree, God was literally handing over to Adam everything he needed to know good and evil. Everything he needed to know right and wrong. And it was literally, he put one rule in place. You know how many years I asked Why the hell did God give that damn commandment? Why the hell would God put that that freaking tree inside of the garden? Why wouldn't the garden just be perfect and amazing and no opportunity for screw-ups? Because without the knowledge of good and evil, without the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong, we cannot be like God. Namely, we can't be like one of them. (laughs) So if you go to Genesis 3.22, now man has become like one of us. Well, which one? There's three of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which one did we become like? And I would say we became like Christ. We became the Logos. We We put on the mind of Christ in the Garden of Eden. We just didn't know it. God gave us the mind of Christ when he said, do not eat of that tree. He was literally like a crown in our heads. He was giving us the mind of Christ of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. But here's the deal. When you do not use the mind of Christ for good and you use it in inversion, 
You create. You are always a creator. You can only create. You cannot destroy. It is impossible. You can create destruction. You can create darkness, but you're always creating. And when you use the mind of Christ in inversion, and you use that creative capacity to head the wrong direction, then you are absolutely creating destruction. You are creating darkness. You are creating death. When you use that same mind in light and life and love, you are using the mind of Christ in the proper way, clearly. So this mind that we've been given, this mind that God gave Adam, and it was, it was as if it was a Trojan horse. It was a seed inside of the commandment. When God said, let, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, he did it. In chapter 1, we got his image. We got, a, we got a spirit and a soul, which he always had. In chapter 2, we also got a body, which he didn't have, so that was a new thing. But in chapter th- 2, in the form of a commandment, we were given his likeness. Now, what is it? Let's, let's back all the way out of this, this philosophical discussion. And I want to ask you, what, what is being God like? Right? What is it like to be God? Well, you're the boss. You're in charge. You're the top. You're the big cheese. Like, you've, you've got it all. And let me ask you, when you're God, is there anyone above you? By definition, no. No, nothing can be above you. Nothing can be higher than you if you're God. And so, if we are to be made in his image and his likeness, if we're supposed to be like God, then by default, the challenge that our Heavenly Father has and had from the beginning is he cannot tell you from his God position, from his higher position, he cannot tell you that you are a God, right? And in, and this is where the entire tree comes into play. Inside of the commandment is the likeness of being like God. But there has to be a self-realization of who and what you are, right? This is why his name throughout every tradition is I am, right? Have you ever thought about that name? Like you realize like it's the only name in the universe that when I try to talk about God, I have to give it an additional pronoun, you know, the great I am, right? Now I can talk about somebody else by giving him the great in front of I am. But if I just say his name and I just say, oh, his name is I am. Wait, 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 pause. Let me, his name is I am. No, 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 wait, this isn't working right. Sorry, guys. What I meant to say was his name is I am. And you realize every time I say his name, by the laws of language, I'm talking about myself. Because God can only be realized from within. It cannot be given to you by someone else because that someone else will then forever be higher than you and they will forever be God to you. So a God cannot tell another God that they are a God. You have to realize that that you are like your father. I cannot give you your I am-ness. 
I cannot tell you that you are like him. You have to realize it from within. Because if I tell it to you, I will always be higher than you. Now, I'm clearly in this podcast, I'm telling you this, right? So I'm not, I don't mean audibly, I can't tell you it, you know, although there are many, many traditions throughout history who have actually kept this, this great arcanum, the great I am, the, the, the secret, um, many traditions have actually kept it a secret because they know they cannot tell you, not because they don't want to tell you, but because you have to figure it out for yourself. Well, New Age Christianity, we're a bit more open. We're not, at this point, not super secretive. And so I'm not trying to not tell you that you are like God. What I'm saying is, is I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, but it won't actually settle until you realize it for yourself. And so your I amness has to come from within. And if your I amness has to come from within, I would ask you, how on earth does it come from within if there is nothing outside of you to draw it out of you? You have to know who you are by framing what it is that you're not, right? I can't say I am a man if, if the only thing in existence is men, then defining what a man is is irrelevant, right? It's a philosophical thing, but if you dig down and you realize that the only reason we can define anything is because there's something that's not that thing to compare it to. Because if everything was white, then there would be no de- there would be no need for color, right? Because everything's white, it just is. And it's assumed that everything's white, and it's known that everything's white, and there is nothing outside of white, and so it just is. But because there's shadow and there's darkness and there is there's blue and red and everything, we we can define white by the fact that it's not blue. Right? It's not red, it's not shadow, it's not shade. It is its own thing. Well, the same thing goes with your I amness. And so the tree was there in the garden to frame what it is that God had placed inside of Adam. God had placed inside of Adam and Eve his likeness. The knowledge of good and evil had been placed inside of them, and all they had to do was realize that it was already there. But how do you realize that it's already there? is you put that same thing outside of yourself, the knowledge of good and evil, and the lie that it's something you have to do to get it. That if you eat of this tree, then you'll be like God. If you follow these rules, then you'll be like God. If you pray this prayer, then you'll be like God. If you fill in the blank, then you will. So from the very first story, And from the 12th episode of this New Age Christian journey, let me proudly, confidently, joyfully tell you everything you need, you already have inside of you. What you're missing is its opposite on the outside of you to frame what is on the inside of you, right? So when you pray for patience, You're given opportunities on the outside of you to not be patient so that you can realize that you already are patient, right? When you pray for, fill in the blank, you already have it, but you don't have it realized until something outside of you frames what you have. This is why 
when you have the opportunity to rise to the challenges that are presented to you, you know you already have it in you. The thing is, is that we often look at those frameworks. We often look at that tree of the knowledge of good and evil outside of us. And we think, I don't have it, but I need to do something to get it. And that is the great lie. That is the serpent. That is the father of every lie. Well, separation is the serpent. The great lie is that you don't already have it. That's what Eve birthed. So the serpent simply, the father of the lies, simply asked questions and said, Eve, did God really say? And the greatest lie of the serpent's existence was the assumption that Eve made in that she wasn't already like God. She thought she had to eat of the tree to be, so that her eyes would be open and that she would become like God. And she had no clue that just a few verses earlier, when God gave them the commandment, he already gave them that knowledge. He already gave them that likeness. He already gave them everything they needed to look at God and say, no, I already am like him. I already know good and evil. What are you talking about, Satan? What are you talking about, serpent? What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> they already had that knowledge. It was already inside of them, and God himself gave it to them. And there's one last little piece that, that in this story that I think is worth, worth drawing out. And that is, it was because Adam and Eve had bodies and a physical presence that I believe creates the illusion of separation. And it, it is the great Satan. It is the great, uh, it is the great serpent that, that makes us think, because we have bodies, that must mean that we aren't like God, because God doesn't have one, so clearly we're different. And while that was the conclusion that Adam and Eve drew, and that's the conclusion that most of humanity has drawn for thousands of years, that's the conclusion that church draws, and Christians draw, and, and New Age people draw, right? That because I have a body and God doesn't have one, clearly that makes me not like him. That's the lie. Let me give you a different idea. It is because you have a body, it makes you him. God didn't need another spirit, right? Because spirit is infinite. It's everywhere. It's all things. He only needs one. God didn't need a soul. He only needs one. But in in time and space, in the realm of time and space, how do you be everywhere? How do you know everything? How do you do all things? You have to divide yourself into physical manifestations. God can't be omnipresent if he's not fruitful and multiplying. God can't be on every planet and every star. He cannot be everywhere if he is not physically following the laws of time and space if he is not multiplying himself in us, right? And so it is actually our bodies. Adam and Eve looked at their bodies, and I believe they looked at their bodies as evidence of their difference from God. And I would say our bodies are evidence of our extension of who God is, that we are God 2.0, and that through us and in us, he himself is experiencing new things, that he himself is expanding his experience of being, and that our bodies are proof that we are 
him in physical form because he needed to be God here. We didn't need another one in the spirit. We didn't need another one in the soul, but we needed another one in the physical realm. Not another, we needed a God in the physical realm. And that is why he created us. So that our your body is not proof of your separation. Your body is proof of your oneness. Your body is proof that you are God in the flesh and that humanity is here to be the rulers and the loving creators of the natural realm. And we're not designed to go back to what to where he's been the whole time. We're designed to go forward. And we're designed to stay here and grow and bring heaven to earth, not get earth to heaven. We are designed to bring the nature of God into this realm. And I'm hoping that unpacking these these stories and unpacking Genesis 1 and 2 and unpacking the, the fall, I'm hoping that that uh, begins to give you some hope and some insight that uh, maybe humanity is here for a reason and we're not just the big screw up in the sky. So that we're not just the big screw up on this floating blue ball, but that we actually have a purpose. And it's a and it's and it's an eternal purpose. It's not going anywhere. So hope you've enjoyed it guys. I absolutely loved this episode. Uh, this is one of my favorite things to unpack for people because I wish I could see your faces. I wish I could see, you know, the, the the puzzled looks or the blown away looks because when you really do realize that the Satan didn't lie, that, that knowing good and evil really is what it means to be like God, that when you realize that there are two creation stories, all of this stuff, um, I know this thing had a lot of uh, a lot of detail for you and and I, and I mentioned in earlier on in some of these episodes where uh, New Age Christianity will, at least my voice as New Age Christianity, will largely become a bit more philosophical at times. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it and that it was clear enough for you. As always, uh, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your time with me. And uh, if you would consider donating, just uh, take it between you and the Spirit. If you do, I always appreciate uh, those who do, and I appreciate your uh, willingness to consider it. Until next time, hope you guys have a great 2019. We're early on in the year. A lot of good things ahead for us. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode. God bless you guys. Bye.